The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, this big day in the markets, and indeed it is one. The ARM IPO, well, that's set to open at any time now. See if any of our committee members want a piece of this year's biggest IPO action. We're going to follow that along with the nice move in stocks today following the PPI, even though it was hotter than expectations. So we've got our eyes all over the place. Joining me for the hour today, Amy Raskin, Steve Weiss, Jason Snipe, Jim Labenthal, Check the markets. Told you we got a good day brewing, and we're green across the board. Dow's good for 260 at the moment. There's the S&P, about three-quarters of 1%. NASDAQ is up, uh, as you see, 0.81%. Uh, Ten-year, uh, 428. we got yields rising across the curve. That's a story. We're going to get to everything. Jim Labenthal. Um, so we're watching ARM. Yep. We're waiting for the first trade. Why is this market sort of yet again kind of able to brush off a bit of a hotter read on, on inflation? Is it because it just it's not enough to upset what the current story is regarding the Fed? Well, I feel like this market in general is teetering back and forth, Scott, between good news being good news and good news being bad news. And today is a day in which good news is good news. I mean, the, high re- the hot retail sales number, the uh, jobless claims, which show that the consumer is in good shape. The consumer has jobs and he's consuming. It's good for the economy. Of course, that's worrisome for inflation. And the PPI number, while hotter than expected, when you look at those year-over-year numbers, they have one and two handles. So, you know, it's hard to get really exercised about that. But I think ultimately where we are right now, we came into the month of September worried about the consumer, right? We had an uptick in unemployment uh, on the August labor report. We had a lot of talk about delinquencies. We had those horrible retail reports last month. And so the, the fact that we're getting a sign that the consumer is healthy, I think the market wants that. And if the Fed uh, hops on one more uh, interest rate hike, I don't think they will. But if they do... I don't think that's the feather that breaks the camel's back. Maybe yeah. it is, but I just don't think so. I don't think the market thinks so. Uh, Jason, PPI hotter, retail stronger, <clears throat> jobless claims lower, oil right. above 90 for the first time this year. Yep. That's something to keep an eye on as well before we get along to this big IPO that we're, uh, everybody seemingly is talking about. Yeah, no, 100%. And I, I think what Jim said is is spot on. I think for me, though, as it relates to the headline CPI numbers yesterday, PPI today, we were expecting energy to be up. Energy was up 5.6%. Gasoline was up a little over 10%. So I think that played into, obviously, the headline numbers on both PPI and CPI. Um, not enough to change what the Fed is going to do. The Fed is likely not going to move in September. The November meeting is 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 somewhat in, in 
in business, right? And then the December meeting, I think, is 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 not going to. There's not going to be a move there. So I think not much change there. And I do agree with Jim in terms of the consumer, the resiliency of the consumer. The consumer is still strong. Claims were were lower. Uh, continuing claims were also lower. You know, so I think I think that is what the market is needing to move forward. Weiss, resilient market, huh? I mean, you know, there's been a million reasons why this market could not be where it is, and yet for some reason it is. Uh, maybe it's because we, you know, we think the Fed is, is closer to the end. We think that earnings have troughed and they're going to start rising up. We're not too optimistic about where we are. You know, oil at 90, is it sustainable? I don't know. But what do you make of the resiliency that we've been witnessing? That's kind of fascinating, particularly today and yesterday as well, when you had a little bit of a hotter number um, than, what, than what the market was looking for. And the bond market's taking it pretty seriously. As you mentioned, uh, yields are up across the curve. I'm looking at the 10-year up, you know, 31 bips. Um, you wouldn't expect the market to also be up as aggressively as it is. So I think the market is taking the Fed at its word, which is that, you know what? Oil, energy prices, food prices, they are transitory. And if you go into the core and you go through the core, You'll see that a lot of that, or some of that, actually is coming is showing inflation coming down, while some of the inputs, like retail, for example, are higher because of energy prices. So the market's still in the consolidation phase. All right, we'll get back to Weiss in a moment. But Amy Raskin, you know, I noticed a number of moves that you've made, um, pretty active in this yep. marketplace. I wonder what it says. You add to Vertex, you add to Verizon and CVS. American Electric Power. Add to Snowflake, too. That's an interesting one out of the software space, thinking about what's going on in the cloud, what Oracle delivered. That stock was way off. Why Snowflake? Yeah. Tell me about that one first. That, that jumps out to me. Well, it does, because the other trades are more defensive, but we're still thematic investors. We're still long-term investors. Um, we think Snowflake has a good run in front of it on a multi-year basis. It's not a quarter call. They've had a couple quarters where the stock has traded down a lot, similar to what we saw with Oracle. So we think, I mean, obviously the valuation is expensive, but just looking at it in total as a $54 billion market cap company, we think over time it's well positioned and it's going to be a lot bigger. So the stock hasn't gone up as much as earnings have gone up. It's kind of underperformed the rest of tech this year. So we're just being a little opportunistic there. It's not a huge position for us in, in full disclosure. But as you said, um, the, the other moves that you've made have a more defensive sure. bent to them, right? Vertex, yep. Verizon, CVS, AEP? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly, we think that's the right move at this point in the market is to go lower um, lower PEs, more value oriented in general. Um, you know, we, we I'm surprised that the market's holding in as well with the like slightly hotter than expected numbers. I mean, they weren't off the charts hard, hotter. I think if that were the case, we'd be talking about a different market right now. But um, I heard Ken Griffin's comments earlier. I do think we're in the seventh to eighth inning. You know, that doesn't mean the game's over, uh, but of this bull run. But I do think we're closer to the end, um, you know, as, as the months tick by. Uh, it takes a while to turn this economy. It's a $27 trillion economy. Uh, but I do think monetary policy is restrictive, and mm -hmm. we're going to get there. Well, you mentioned Ken Griffin, uh, Citadel, uh -huh. uh, obviously. Was on the network not too long ago. Squawk on the street. I want you to play. I want to play some sound on uh, what Mr. Griffin said about where he thinks we are in the markets. We could discuss on the other side of that. I'm a bit anxious that this rally can continue. You know, obviously one of the. 
big drivers of the rally has been the, the just frenzy over generative AI, which has powered many of the big tech stocks. I like to believe that this, this rally has legs. I'm a bit anxious. We're, we're sort of in the seventh or eighth inning of this rally. All right, so that's Ken Griffin. Uh, Jimmy, short time ago, says he's hopeful of a soft landing, said it could be a more difficult scenario in his words as well. What do you make of that? Seventh, eighth inning. I, well, I think it's, I think it's entirely accurate. You know, so far the evidence looks like we are having a soft landing. On the other hand, 525 basis points of rate hikes, we know there's a lagged effect to it. We know that, you know, a lot of people locked in their mortgages and auto loans two years ago, so it's going to take time for that to filter through. And as I was saying earlier, you know, we do have an eye on the consumer. We're looking at delinquencies. We're looking at jobless claims. So far, so good. But, you know, he's right to be saying we ain't out of the woods yet. This ain't the bottom of the ninth. Sure. Top of the seventh, bottom of the eighth. You're getting there. You're getting there. But you ain't out of the woods yet. Does this seem reasonable to you, Ken Griffin's view on, on where we are right now? Uh, and and in, in just a moment, by the way, I'll, I'm going to play another soundbite, which gives you a little more detail as to why he could be a little uh, worried about where things may be heading and what could prove to be that more difficult scenario in which he described. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, I think I think it absolutely is reasonable. And I think the main thing for me is what Jimmy said. Obviously, the lag effect, I think, is a, is a big piece. But the also, the other piece for me is interest rates. I mean, there's a real rate of return in interest rate. There is some competition for stocks, and that's obviously out there in the market. Um, you know, fiscal support has played a major role this year. AI, generative AI as a theme, has played a major role this year. And I think that's part of the reason why we are where we are. But let's see over the next couple of quarters to your to Jimmy's point I mean the resiliency of the consumer let's see how the consumer hangs in yeah I'm told we have Mr. Freeze back uh, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this now and, and play the sound for for Steve Weiss because Griffin talked about a topic that frankly I've been hearing more about too from some of the folks that I've been speaking with including last night at a dinner where somebody whose name unfortunately I can't mention to you because it was an off-the-record comment um, is quite concerned about the deficit and where real rates might go um, because of the amount of supply, Steve, that's going to hit the markets and who the buyers are ultimately going to be. I want you to listen to what Ken Griffin had to say. There's no doubt that this will cause us to have higher real yields, all else being equal, for years to come. There's no doubt about it. What does that mean? That means fewer construction projects. That means less investment in companies. That means that consumers will be more hesitant to buy goods and services. Higher real yields crowd out needed investment that we have in our economy. You know, we're going to get to that in a second, but I'm going to go to Leslie Picker at the NASDAQ. We understand Arm is open for its first trade. What do we know, Leslie? Yes, Arm is open, currently trading about 10% above that $51 per share pricing. You can see up about 9.7-10% as Arm opens for trading. A return to the public markets for Arm, it was taken private back in 2016 by SoftBank. SoftBank did all of the selling in this IPO, selling about 9% of the company at $51 per share, which was at the high end of the range and currently trading up from there. Now, as we've talked about through many, many IPOs that we've worked on in the past together, Scott, pricing IPOs is more of an art than a science, and a 10% pop is, is decent. It means you didn't leave too much on the table, like you'd see with a doubling of an IPO on the first day of trading, but you also don't want to see the stock price decline. Now, of course, this is just uh, the very start of the opening. We have a long trading day ahead, but right now, opening up about 9.6%, 9, 9 so not too bad for a, an IPO of this size. 
Highly anticipated. Um, you've been reporting all along, right? At least five times oversubscribed. Mm -hmm. um, you also have a, a really well-supported deal, Leslie, from customers of, of Arm who said they were going to buy shares in the IPO. We're talking Apple, Google, NVIDIA, uh, et cetera. So you had a well-supported deal. There's a lot of eyeballs on this to go right uh, to continue that de-thawing, if you will, of the IPO market. Yep, you're right. $735 million worth of this float uh, was already claimed by its customers, Apple, NVIDIA, AMD, as you mentioned. The rest of it, uh, worth about $4 billion, that was up for grabs by large institutions. And I'm told in talking to investors that hedge funds got pretty slim uh, allocations in this deal, which is usually a decent sign. But those oversubscription numbers, which were about over 10 times um, by the time this uh, the pricing happened last night, that was largely within the range. You hear oversubscription and you hear, you think, oh, there's a lot of demand for this deal. But the key there is at what price? And I'm told that oversubscribed 10 times within the range, which is why you really saw pricing at the high end as opposed to going above, because all of the proceeds from this deal are going to be generated by SoftBank, not ARM itself, because SoftBank is the controlled owner of ARM. So they're the ones generating the proceeds. So again, it kind of goes back to, you don't want to price it too aggressively if your big customers are the ones buying the deal. And you also want to ensure a pretty decent first day of trading because this is a very large deal. And a lot of people see it as a seminal moment for an IPO market that's really been closed for the better part of 18 months. Yeah, and the market will judge, I suppose, whether a 10% you know, pop is, is what people were looking for or expecting and then what the message is out of that. The other point I, I want you to comment on is the valuation, which is you know, mm. north of 100 times uh, yes. he, here as well. And there will be questions asked from the people on my panel, and I'll get to them in a moment to find out if they want a piece of this, as to whether it's too expensive because of the lack of growth that we've seen year over year from this company and where the growth trajectory really is to justify this elevated valuation that some will ascribe it to be. Yeah, top and bottom lines have been shrinking, Scott, over the first six months of the year. Valuation, even at this level, that $51 per share, uh, that's still lower than where SoftBank acquired the stake that it uh, had in ARM that it didn't already own from its own vision fund. That was valued at $64 billion, that transaction, back in August. So just last month, this is coming in um, about $10 billion below that in terms of its IPO pricing. So. Even at these levels, it is double on a price to historical uh, earnings basis relative to other semiconductor peers. So expensive for a company that's not growing. However, one of the key marketing dynamics here has been just its overall exposure to AI and its part in the transition toward AI and machine learning and all of that computing. They say their chips or their designs for chips create a more efficiency there, lower power, things that are attractive, especially in this market that has seen such a frenzy around any kind of chip exposed to AI, any company exposed to AI. So that is, has clearly enabled them to price um, even at an, an expensive level relative to peers. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, Les. Uh, we'll come back to you as needed. Thank you, Leslie Picker, following the RMIPO. I do want to hear from the committee uh, 
you want a piece of this biggest IPO, Jimmy? Not yet, because remember who I am in particular, right? I'm trying to build my position in NVIDIA. That's something I'm more comfortable with the valuation than I am in ARM. However, however, I'm paying well, attention to that ain't to this. exactly cheap I, I, either, I, my listen, friend. Actually, actually it's, not, it's not that crazy. On a four, you know, you look forward one year, it's about a 28 times multiple. So wait a second, it's actually growing into it. But on ARM, this is very important, and not just for the health of the IPO market. I like where it's trading right now, but take the alternate scenario. If it goes down from here, it's not because the business isn't great. We all can agree the business is great. The only reason it would go down is because of valuation concerns, and that would spread, in my opinion, to other sectors of the market where valuation, even NVIDIA, is questionable. Uh, so really, for many reasons besides just the IPO market, uh, I want this to do well regardless of whether I'm in it or not. Yeah. Jay? Yeah, so for us, it's, it's, it's not a touch right now. Um, you know, I think, to Jimmy's point, I think it's very important for the capital markets. Right? We need this to be a successful uh, IPO. I think that's very important. But I think there's some concern for me, just their, just their uh, exposure to China. 25% of their revenue is in China, and with the tensions there, I think that's concerning for me. They're, they're suggesting that the company is going to grow in mid-teens. It obviously hasn't done that over the last several quarters. So, you know, you're paying 100 times for what, what are the earnings really. So I think for me, it's a no-touch for now. But let's see how it, how it progresses over the next couple months, and maybe we'll take a look at it. Why you want a piece of this action? Not right now. I mean, here, here are the issues. First of all, knock out the strategic buyers because that's exactly what they are, strategic. So they're valuation agnostic. They're in this for other reasons, not to generate a turn. As I look to generate a return, frankly, to Jimmy's point, I'd rather play NVIDIA because I know what I've got as a public company. And by the way, I don't have a massive overhang that SoftBank represents. I mean, is this going to be all they sell? I would doubt it. They're going to sell some more. So they've not performed particularly well themselves. So they need some liquidity for their investors, and they need to put a win up. This is not a win. So... I think there's a lot going on here. I've got a great deal of confidence in Goldman and the other bankers in terms of being able to manage the aftermarket. And there's a reason why hedge funds got slight allocations, because they didn't want so much stock coming back. So the dynamics of this offering itself are phenomenal, given the strength of the underwriters. But I'm just not tempted at this level. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you did uh, add to your NVIDIA position. I think it's noteworthy and, and we should mention that here as well. Uh, Ken Griffin, by the way, who I was discussing just before we went to Leslie because Arm had opened, he likes NVIDIA too. He called it, quote, a little frothy, but man, has that management team executed, uh, is what he said. I, I want to go back, though, Weiss, to the sound that we did play from Griffin where, you know, he talked about a potentially more difficult scenario that he described, one in which the, the deficit is massive where real rates may go as, as a result because the amount of supply that will will need to hit the market and who the buyers will be and then and the, the prospects that that could push real rates up to a to an elevated level that would make someone comfortable particularly the stock market I, I agree with that and and uh, while Courtney was doing the show yesterday what I said was look the challenge for the market going forward is that up to this point, estimates have come down each quarter. So the bar was set pretty low and achievable. Generally, you know, we see each reporting period, 75% of companies at least exceed guidance. Well, I think it's going to be tough now because estimates have been going higher. So that, to me, puts us in the later stages of, of this economic cycle, particularly with the delayed response 
to the massive Fed tightening cycle. So I do believe whether it's a seventh inning or eighth inning, I can't be that precise. But I agree with this thought and the alternative that Jason noted earlier, that we've got a 5% two-year, that's pretty compelling if the risk ratchet up in the market. In terms of the deficit specifically, yes, that'll create a higher borrowing cost, which will impact projects, consumer behavior, etc. But the deficit itself, we've seen higher deficits in other countries. So that's something we have to deal with at some point. But I believe the deficit can actually grow without impacting the credit standing of the U.S. further or impacting yields, frankly, you know, from the deficit itself sure. much. It's more the economic environment. We just leave, we're going to leave ARM up uh, for a while just to give you a real-time look at how this thing actually trades over the next you know several moments it's just opened within the last 10 minutes as you know from from watching here the stock is now up 15 or so uh, percent so we'll, we'll keep watching that um, but Amy what about the idea uh, rising rates rising real rates becoming a hindrance to some degree to stocks Brian Belsky BMO of course friend of our show says higher rates do not derail stock prices uh, I should note the Dow's up 300 plus right now rates are elevated today uh, based perhaps on some of the data as well. The IPOs being well received. You got the NASDAQ, Dow, uh, all the uh, S&P trading similarly in terms of their percentage gains today. How do you see it? I disagree. I think higher rates will impact the stock market at some point. Um, I, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. I do think it will happen. Um, interest rates just slow it. Higher interest rates just slow everything down. It's going to be harder to get the earnings growth that people are now projecting for 2024. Um, it, as Jason said, it gives people an alternative, and um, which we didn't have. We had negative real rates for most of the last 15 years. It pushed a lot of people into equities, and that's reversing. Um, it makes the cost of capital higher for companies, especially small businesses that are the backbone of the economy. So I, I think it's um, I understand why people are saying interest rates don't impact the stock market. We haven't seen it yet. Um, but just mathematically, I think they have to at some point. And um, that goes into a little bit of our repositioning that we just talked about. Guys, can we throw up? Uh, I'm going to do this on the fly. Uh, AT&T, uh, letter T. Uh, was up about two percent. I, I see a, a report here that they're they've updated their guidance, uh, guiding their free cash flow Q3 four and a half to five billion. The uh, range, at least on FactSet, was four point nine five. I uh, just want to bring that to you there, just because uh, being talked about at the moment, stocks up two percent, and uh, Dow's at the highs of the day. We said north of three hundred points. So, so let's do this. Uh, we'll watch that one. We'll take a quick break. Uh, we'll come back on the other side. We have a lot to get to, including our call of the day. B of A says this defense stock is a, quote, value trap. It's been a top pick for one of our committee members. We'll get their reaction. They're doing something in the stock, too, which you don't want to miss. And later, broadcasting legend Al Michaels. He joins us as Thursday Night Football kicks off on Amazon Prime. He's always with us around this time of year. We're excited about that. And as we go to break, a check on shares of Arm Holdings. Just open biggest IPO of the year. There it is. Uh, highs of this early trade. It's up near 18%. Halftime back in two. 
Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Our call of the day today is RTX. Uh, look at that. It's hit with a third downgrade this week, this time from Bank of America. They call it a value trap. You just threw in a towel on this, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, enough. It's enough. Down, it's down 26% year to date, so I guess that's what you mean. Yeah, I mean, look, let me make myself feel better, Scott, by pointing out that in the three years I've owned it, it's up 9% on average, but I don't feel good, okay? Having said that, look, this was not supposed to be a turnaround story, and that's what it's become. It was supposed to be a solid performer, providing jet engines to the aerospace community, providing missiles to the defense community. Those should be growth businesses right now, and they've They've, they've messed up. You've I mean, said throughout, I'm just going to stop yeah, you for a ahead. minute, because go we've ahead. had a conversation repeatedly since the beginning of the year, if not before, about the defense sector and why you remain so bullish on it. You know, the idea that these conflicts aren't going away. Yep. Everybody knows uh, how everybody feels yeah. about just that as a topic, okay? Um, but nonetheless, you've said repeatedly that that was going to be good for these stocks. And it hasn't. And it hasn't been, why? Scott because of margins, because of margins, all right? And it's every single one of these companies. It's Boeing Defense, it's Lockheed Martin, it's Northrop Grumman. They all have the same problem, it's margins. Yes, some of this is the hangover, the pandemic and supply chains. A lot of it is labor. A lot of it is finding quality labor to, to craft these high precision parts. But I've heard from a lot of you guys, is. war is not going away, these conflicts are here, we're gonna keep mm-hmm. producing, defense spending's gonna continue to go up. I've heard that repeatedly, and now I look at a stock that's down 26%. I'm not, you know, faulting you specifically. Uh, you I'm can just go saying, ahead. I'm just saying what the narrative on this program has yeah. been, and then I look at a stock that's had a disastrous performance, and now you're a seller of it. So let me do specific to Raytheon, then let me come back to the bigger picture. Raytheon, this geared turbofan engine, all right, it just keeps getting worse and worse. This is a major cash cow for them, and they're now spending something like $3 billion in negative free cash flow to fix a problem. That means that this... By the way, the street is not convinced that that's the bottom line number. Okay, so to the value trap comment, people aren't really sure this is the number. So this is this is not going anywhere anytime soon. To your bigger picture question, which is rightfully asked, eventually these margin issues will be worked out. And I'm sorry to say that the top line growth story is intact for defense. I mean, the ITA, but without by margins, the way, it doesn't matter. The ITA as a sector has underperformed the S&P 500. At some too. point, these this just buys. may be the dog with the most fleas on it from a stock standpoint. Mm-hmm. But the sector as a whole, if you've been buying the ETF on the recommendations of some on this program, you still have underperformed. Margins, margins, margins. At some point that gets worked out, but there's no sign of it in these companies. There's no sign of it. So I'm moving to the sidelines. 
I could see these margins getting worked out. You know, margins is about management. That's about execution by management. Hasn't happened at any of those companies that I've listed so far. Boeing, Lockheed Martin, North, I can go down the list again. I don't need to. Let's just wait on the sidelines and see when better management execution appears. All right, that's fair enough. Um, again, Jim Labenthal selling uh, RTX this morning. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do call today. Just obviously flows and makes, makes the right sense there. FedEx, by the way, Jason, yeah. I positive mentioned Goldman Sachs ahead of earnings next week. Uh, you want FedEx? Yeah, so obviously FedEx has been a huge winner this year, up 47%. Yeah. Very difficult year last year, however, so let's be clear on that. Um, for me, as, as it looks, as I look at, obviously, bankruptcy of yellow, redis redistribution of spend, obviously FedEx will, will take advantage of that. Also, the structural cost, uh, cost, cost cutting. They have about $4 billion that they're going to cut potentially in 2025, another $2 billion in 2027. I like this name. I mean, when we, when we look at the consumer and goods to services, there is some concern there. But I, I think with a new CEO focus on shareholder value, they, they upped the dividend uh, about 10% in the last quarter. So I, I like this stock. Hey, Weiss, didn't you own FedEx at one point not all that long ago? I did, sold it prematurely, uh, clearly. Um, look, th there are definitely a lot of tailwinds here. I mean, you had some of, their some of the UPS business move over to FedEx when they were concerned about the impact of the strike. As Jason mentioned, yellow going out of business, I mean, that helps pick up pricing and it also helps ship volume to FedEx. However, on the headwind side, we are seeing a slowdown, despite the number today, in consumer purchases and that's going to impact them. I believe, though, that with the new management, they put enough in the tank to make sure that they have another good quarter. So I would expect the quarter to be good and also guidance to be okay. But at this level, I'm content to wait on the sidelines. It's not where I want to add exposure right now. I've got enough exposure, and by the way, pretty significant exposure. All right, so that's a nice bump there, uh, some 2%. A reminder, Dow pretty much highs the day, uh, good for 300, near 1%. NASDAQ, S&P also pretty strong. And again, ARM is out of the gates uh, and doing quite well at this moment, too. Let's get the headlines now with Silvana Hanau. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Scott. Donald Trump's Georgia election case is splitting up. The judge ruled today against the district attorney to allow Trump's co-defendants, Sidney Powell and Kenneth Chesbrough, to separate their trial from 17 other defendants. This means the former president won't go to trial in October. Officials say a luxury cruise ship that ran aground in a remote part of Greenland was pulled free today by a fishing boat. The Ocean Explorer, which is carrying 206 passengers, got stuck on Monday. The company that owns the ship says no one was injured, there is no damage to the ship, and there was no pollution to the environment. For the first time in history, there will there will no longer be an age limit for Miss Universe pageants. According to a social media statement, the change will take effect in 2024. Contestants will still have to be 18 to compete, but they'll no longer age out of the pageants at 28. Scott, back to you. All right, Savannah, thank you. That's yeah. Savannah now. Up next, Delta hitting new headwinds. It's warning higher costs will cut into profits. Not the first airline to do it either. Jim owns it. We'll get his take on it next. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast. 
generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Welcome back. Just want to update you on Arm Holdings. Of course, the biggest IPO of the year, open for business, up 17%, priced at 51, opened at 56.10, and you see a, a nice gain there. By the way, we will also show you uh, shares of Goldman Sachs uh, having a pretty good day, too. One of the lead underwriters on this IPO. You may recall the conversation that David Faber had with the CEO, David Solomon, who really made it clear they needed this to go well, not just Goldman Sachs, but of, of course, the IPO market in general. So but maybe a little more skin in the game uh, than others for Goldman. And Steve Weiss, you're flagging this, right? I mean, you own Goldman. You were looking for this to go well um, for the industry as a whole, but specifically for Goldman Sachs. And it seems to be rewarded for what looks to be a pretty good out of the gate move here. Yeah. And, you know, I did add to Goldman. Part of the reason was that the IPO cycle seemed to be picking up steam in advance what bankers uh, had anticipated. And also because, frankly, Amy shamed me into adding to it uh, when she did. So, look, this is important. Goldman is the lead book runner, so this falls squarely on them. They're also likely being, although I'm not sure, the ones that are stabilizing in the aftermarket. You'll still have issues with the M&A cycle. Look at Ken Griffin's comments. With higher interest rates, you'll see fewer deals, and that's really fat business for the banks. But it'll be great to get this going, unexpected, this early as opposed to the second half of 24. Yeah, good derivative play uh, off of Arm that we'll keep watching as well as Goldman's at the highs of the day. Uh, Arm looks to be at the highs of its early trade as well. How about Delta, though? Not at the highs of the day. It's uh, under pressure today. Let's take a look at shares of Delta. That's after cutting the profit outlook on rising costs. It follows similar moves from American. They cut their estimates yesterday. United Southwest, Alaska did the same last week. Uh, There's the trade bouncing around a bit. Jim, you own Delta and Alaska. But on Delta specifically, your commentary is what? I'm not overly worried about this. Now, I'm not going to be blasé either, Scott, but what's the real issue here? We already knew about labor costs. Oil and jet fuel prices are the real issue here. And this is part of the risks if you want to be an airline investor is that you get a spike in oil prices like you're having right now. But think about what they're also doing. They're reaffirming the full year guidance of six to seven dollars. Current estimates are six dollars and fifty eight cents. So that's actually comforting. Six dollars and fifty eight cents puts this around six times earnings set to grow next year. That's the big question. That's the big question. Will earnings grow next year? Now, I'm going to, with humility, say yes, because you know my opinion on the market overall, on the economy overall. We did just get an update on the Atlanta Fed GDP, 4.9%, with the first reading uh, from August being retail sales now in that equation. Things look pretty good for the economy, and with it, these high levels of passenger traffic should continue, should continue. So I'm not overly worried about this. I'm wondering how you're thinking about, speaking of the economy and whether you're overly worried about this potential UAW strike uh, for GM, which is down two-thirds of 1% today. The deadline's fast approaching, right, tonight? Yeah. Uh, So how should we be thinking about this in the final hours as these talks, you know, I don't know where they stand now, whether they progressed at all or not, but... uh, Deep breath. We're at the limit. Deep breath, okay? The right thing to do here is for management to give a big raise 
to the workers. The right thing for the workers to do is to accept the raise. The wrong thing to do for both sides is to go back to 20th century practices of implementing pensions and protecting jobs that in a new environment, one of labor shortage, if you don't need as many jobs in this industry, then stop protecting them. Redirect the workforce to where it's needed. Uh, The idea of cutting the work hours from 40 to 32, I mean, guys, Give them the raise like everybody deserves, okay? And that won't crush profitability here. But if you go back to 20th century practices, this industry is going to find itself where it was at the beginning of this century, which is to say in bankruptcy. Don't do it. And I hope like heck, even if it causes a strike, Scott, I hope like heck we don't go back to 20th century work practices. Yeah, the latest headlines are GM saying it made another offer to the UAW for a new deal uh, this morning, that it does remain in talks with the goal of avoiding a strike. Uh, commentary you obviously would expect to come from the company as the deadline fast approaches. We'll follow those shares. We'll follow that story. But up next, the legend. He's back. Al Michaels, he joins us. We'll talk some ball. We'll talk some stocks. We'll do it next. Week two of the NFL season set to kick off tonight with a matchup between the Minnesota Vikings and defending NFC champions, the Philadelphia Eagles. Joining us now, the man who will call the action tonight on Prime Video, broadcasting legend Al Michaels. Welcome back. It's good to see you as always. As always, Judge, and uh, this has become a tradition. I open up every season with you, and here we go again. Oh, we appreciate that. You got a good one uh, tonight, too. I mean, the Eagles are the Eagles. And I'll tell you what, you know, if you if you looked at the just the stats from last week, the Vikings between Cousins and Jefferson, you would have thought they won. In fact, they didn't, which makes tonight even more intriguing. It does. Now, the Vikings last week pretty much self-destructed. They controlled the game, but they turned the ball over three times and they didn't get a takeaway. So they knew they 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 gave the game away is what it amounted to. It's kind of interesting. Nobody wins or loses the Super Bowl in week two. But this is a very important game for Minnesota coming off a loss. They've got a very tough schedule last year. Uh, This year, a much tougher one than they had last year when they were 11 and 0 in one possession games. So they were living with rabbit's feet in their uniforms. And this year, they're already 0 and 1 in one possession games. So a, a really big game tonight, especially for the Minnesota Vikings coming on the road to Philadelphia on three days rest. So are you, are you more surprised at this point, Al, at, that the Chiefs are 0-1, Detroit 1-0 after that win, or the thumping that Dallas put on the Giants uh, not too far from where I'm sitting? Detroit's good. There's no question about it. Kansas City, obviously, were, they were missing a couple of uh, key players as well. But, you know, it's early in the season. Everybody overreacts to what happens week one. The Giants are not that bad. Trust me. They, you know, they were destroyed 40 to nothing. They fell behind early. Uh, it was tough to, you know, to get back in the game on a crummy night. But uh, they go to Arizona this week, and we have them next week on Thursday night at San Francisco. So, uh, you know, it's easy to say, oh, the Giants are terrible and all that. But. Scott, it's it's one week and everything changes week two, week three and all the way down the line. And the Super Bowl is still five months away. Yeah, you got a good schedule this year. You know, as you know, uh, after questions about that the last couple of years, let's just let's just leave that, including the Bengals at the Ravens in mid-November. Uh, wow. Burrow didn't look very good after signing that big contract, did he? 
He'll have a good year. Trust me. I mean, it's one of those things where he didn't play at all in preseason. He had the camp injury. He missed a lot of time. Uh, it was a rainy, sloppy day in Cleveland. They fell behind. Uh, Joe Burrow is still a pretty good quarterback. I mean, he certainly did not look like the highest paid quarterback in, in the history of the National Football League the other day, but he will. Uh, again, I go back to, you know, through the years and having covered the NFL now for, for 38 years, you see some wacky stuff happen in week one and you forget totally about it by week three or four. Yeah, many of the top quarterbacks got out of the gates a little slow. I, I, your point's well taken, and, and I'm sure we're going to see a turnaround. Let me ask you one more football question, and then I want to get to the market. And I'm going to get away from the pro game just because I'm just curious as an observer of sports. Uh, have you ever seen anything like what Deion Sanders is doing uh, for college football uh, up in, in, in Colorado? It's wild. You know, I, like so many people, I think I tuned into the opening game against TCU. And I figured, let me give this about 10 minutes, see what's going on, watch Dion and all of that. And that turned out to be one of the greatest games in the history of college football. They beat TCU. And then last week, everybody is stoked in, in Boulder. Uh, they're going to be a team that's going to be flexed into a lot of either primetime spots or, or uh, spots where you get a lot of recognition uh, on, on Saturday afternoons. It, I think it's great. I mean, no matter how you feel about Dion, what he's done, you have to give him a lot of credit for it. And what shocked me, and I think it shocked a lot of people, is how good his kid is at quarterback. Yeah. I mean, to me, who knew? Comes out, throws for 500 yards in the first game. He's put himself in the Heisman uh, uh, race. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, well, we look forward to tonight. Uh, obviously, hearing your voice uh, is always a good thing. Um, let's talk. Let's talk the markets. Uh, what you've been doing lately? Well, what's on your mind as you as you watch the stock market that? Frankly, we've described Al over the last few days as remarkably resilient in the face of so many theoretical headwinds that could provide anything but the stability that we've seen in the market. I watch you guys all the time. I don't know. You know, uh, Josh was out in what, Huntington Beach last week with his shorts and his and his tank top <laughs> and listening to, list, listening to the whole gang. You know, I pay attention to what you say, but you and I both know we've talked about this so many times. The market looks really good. It's been last year was not a good year, obviously. This year's been a very good year, but still, you have those days when it's down two, three hundred points, and it's it's crazy because it's almost you have to be contrary to what everybody said. Oh, the interest rates are terrible. They're going to keep raising them. The market's going to tank, but here we are. So, I mean, you're looking at it right now, and I'm checking it out at the moment as I look at the screen here. <laughs> we got a good one today. Of three hundred forty points up to the minute. So, yeah. Go figure, man. Go. Figure. I have the, no the, idea the, what tomorrow brings. I don't think anybody does. The it's score like is a good one today. Do, do you have yeah. one stock on your mind that you, you've been? I mean, I know you've, you've, you've told us you've held IBM forever. You've got these, you know, triple or quadruple, quintuple levered uh, ETFs that you have. Is there one stock, though, that you, you've been looking at more than any other of late? And for, for what reason that might be? Not, I got to say, not, not particularly. But I'm waiting for the final trades today. And oh. if you tell me that Farmer Jim is going to tell us Cleveland Cliffs. <laughs> here you go. I think I'm, 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 I'm going to switch. 
walked over to, to, to Fox Business News. It's real simple. Don't you do that. <laughs> well, don't you ever do that. I'll try, I'll try not to. But I, but I do see, Al, on your schedule that December 28th, you're going to be in Cleveland. Uh, and I'm a Jets fan, so I might have to come out to that. I'll see if I could uh, perhaps twist uh, the CEO's arm, Lorenzo Gonsalves, invite him to the game, and, and maybe you can pulse him yourself on, on what the stock's doing. If you're up for that, I'll try to make that happen. I can't guarantee it. But he is a watcher of the show, so who knows? Maybe he'll call in in a sec. Can't think of a better way to spend Christmas week. <laughs> the Jets. And I'm not, I'm not, hey, listen, let me be clear. I'm not saying that uh, the Cleveland Cliffs is the Zach Wilson of my portfolio. But who knows? Who knows? Maybe Zach will have the year we've been waiting for. Let's see. Well, give me something else, though, besides Cleveland Cliffs. I've got okay. to get something for you. All right, Transocean. Um, you've heard me talk about it, and this is a company right. that controls the supply of these deep water ocean rigs. They have announcements after announcements of new contracts. There's one today. Uh, this thing's going to be right. a cash flow machine over the, over the next couple of years. Uh, you touted that hey, a couple Al, of weeks ago, so I'm looking at it very closely. It's, yep. It's up. It's had a nice game today. Before I let you go, before I let you go, Al, because Jim brought it up, the Jets, I mean, what a shocker, obviously, with uh, yeah. with Aaron Rodgers going down. What do you think? What do you think their chances are here forward? I mean, they have a great defense and they have a lot of weapons on offense. Just, how do you view that as a broadcaster? And number one, it's, it's it's just it's sad. Even if you're not a Jets fan, you wanted to see how this Aaron Rodgers thing was going to play out. So uh, I don't think anybody enjoyed what happened the other night. That was that was terrible, and hopefully Aaron recovers and and does have a little bit more time left and comes back at the age of 40. But you're right. The de- Look, the defense is great. The defense is terrific. And, and offensively, Beast Hall, the running back, great. Wilson, you know what kind of receiver he is. I think that's a very well-coached team. Uh, I don't think that team winds up, you know, 3-14 and 14 by any stretch of the imagination. Maybe that won't be as good as they would have been with Aaron. Who knows? But maybe Zach Wilson, you know, who is going to be the guy, he was going to be the franchise quarterback three years ago. You know, maybe uh, spending all that time with Aaron this year, finally having an opportunity to, to step up. Uh, I'm not going to discount the Jets just yet. All right. Good stuff. Uh, great visiting with you, as always. Al, thanks. We'll see you soon. Take care, guys. Be good. All right. We'll look for that tonight, uh, of course. By the way, be sure to catch the NFL on NBC this Sunday night as the Miami Dolphins take on the New England Patriots. That's a good one, too. Always is. Starts at 7 p.m. That's uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, of course, NBC and Peacock. Up next, Mike Santoli with his midday word. We're at fresh session highs, near 350 on the Dow. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Uh, biggest IPO of the year. We've been telling you about it. Open for business. There it is. It's Arm Holdings. Up near 18%. Price 51. It's currently trading at 60. Mike Santoli. Our senior markets commentator has joined us now for his uh, midday word. So, Ar- I mean, you need a couple things to check the boxes today. Arm, seemingly good. Yeah. Uh, PPI, you know, a little hotter than expected. But again, like CPI doesn't seem to be a, too upsetting to either the bond or the yeah, stock market. I think that's kind of the key, the absence of an alarm being sounded by the bond market on the PPI and CPI number. It comes in general with a little bit of a, of a sense of 
slower activity, whether it's from the airlines or the restaurants within the uh, retail sales number, uh, so that you know the bond market uh, reaction maybe is, is suppressed on that level. In general, though, yesterday I also would note uh, a lot of put buying, a lot of hedging. So there's this anxiety that's built up in the market because it has really been uh, sort of this low momentum slog. Uh, headline index looks pretty okay, right? It's kind of in this little higher highs, higher lows for the last uh, couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But the issue is the average stock is not really doing a whole lot. So we'll see. Um, you know, it's, it, we're still kind of ranged by. I think the ARM IPO, well received. I don't know that it has, you know, huge coattails in terms of other types of companies, but better than seeing it flop. Yeah, sure. exactly. Better yeah. than the alternative. Yeah. A couple stock stories that are, that are on my mind as I just look at my screen. Been a rough week for Netflix. Yeah, it has down another two percent uh, today and near nine percent this week. Got any? You know, what, are you watching that? You know, I mean, we I'm talk a lot about that. Apple and Nvidia, it's, but I, I think I'm certainly watching it. I think that again, it was one of these uh, so many reasons to love it on the way up, which was the ad tier coming on, the password sharing crackdown, all these little uh, boosts to revenue, and then the CFO comes out Yesterday. and says. Yes, at a conference and saying, yeah, we're going to get some benefits. Some of it's front loaded, but also explicitly said, we don't think we should be continuing to push margins higher on the same basis we have been for a while. It wouldn't be good long term for the business. I think that that shows you what the street was counting on, which was continued uh, you know, margin growth. Also, it's been such a beneficiary relative to its peers during the strike, the writers and actors strikes that maybe that just got built in all at once. If you're looking for a broad day, I mean, this is your kind of day. Uh, yep. Small caps up near 1%. I mean, they've, they've been trash lately, yes. as we know. But really, across the board, it's pretty uh, pretty nice. It's working better today. Again, it's been one day this way, one day off. Tomorrow, we do have the, the quarterly expiration. Historically, the week after that sometimes gets a little sloppy. We'll see if that holds up or if we pulled some of the weakness into August, as some people have been arguing. All right. I will see you uh, in just a bit on Closing Bell. Okay. All right. It's Mike Santoli. Final trades, they're coming up next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. I hope to join me 3 o'clock Eastern today on Closing Bell. Gabriela Santos of J.P. Morgan will be with me, Joe Terranova. We have top financial advisor Richard Saperstein as well with his view on where this market is going on a day where we're up near 350 on the Dow. We'll keep our eyes, too, on the developments with the UAW. Phil LeBeau on top of that. Leslie Picker with the latest on ARM. We'll track that one into the close as well as the biggest IPO of the year opens. And we'll find out how it looks as we head towards that final hour of trade as well. Amy Raskin, what's your final trade? I'm going to go with Verizon. I think I like how Chief's reacting to the news that they just are delivering cash flow in the range. It's seven times earning, 8% dividend yield, not loved by the street, underperformed the market so far this year. So we like it. And more, most importantly, wireless pricing is not going down. Steve Weiss. AKA Mr. Freeze. Oracle. Yes, uh, I, I took an initial position in Oracle. Look, I think oh. the sell off was overstated. The quarter wasn't that bad. And I'm focused on the cloud business. So right now, it sits at valuation on a May year similar to what the others are. Actually, a big discount to what the others are. So I think it's still got legs. It's bouncing nicely. Yeah, it is. Two and a half percent, uh, just thereabouts. Weiss into Oracle. All right, good to know. Farmer Jim. 
I mentioned Transocean earlier. I'm going to repeat it again. And the thing you're looking for here is the one-third of their fleet that's in cold stack status. You're looking for announcements of those rigs getting contracts. I think that's going to happen soon. Jay Snipe. Amazon operating profit was really strong this past quarter. I think Jassy's just going to start it. All right. I'll see you on Closing Bell. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 